subject expert. You gotta keep the back on it. Welcome to Cracking Open a Cold Case. And, and other, other true, true crime stories. Stories. You put way too much into that, Advent. True, true crime heads. I'm gonna need you to smash the MF retweet button. <laughs> where are my, where are my true crime heads at? Is that from something? Uh, Brandon Mordell used to say stuff like that. Oh. Brandon Mordell's my idol. Well. Yikes. Okay. Greetings, true crime lovers. <laughs> Let's take a journey. Uh, okay, well, instead of Caitlin, we still have Vince Snow and Mark DeYoung, and I'm Allison Sugar. At Sugar underscore night. Thank you. Um, today, we are going to discuss the case of Mark Kaufman, but not till we get some good banter in. So, we were, we were, ta we were curious how Vince can afford this new truck. That and he's going to go buy in New Jersey, and... He's coming to some money. So, Vince, how have you come into this uh, newfound cash of yours? So, if any of you follow the lifestyle blogger on Twitter named Carly Styles, she's married to a guy named Jackson Wood, and Jackson Wood is my good buddy, and uh, I, I was pretty irresponsible with uh, money and just in life in general in the year 2013, and my buddy Jackson Wood said, Dude, you gotta buy this new thing. It's called Bitcoin. And I was like, okay. He told me to buy it when it was $6 per Bitcoin, but alas, I did not listen to him. And then he told me to buy it again when it was $19 a Bitcoin, and alas, I did not listen to him again. But I bought, uh, I bought like five Bitcoins when it was at 70 or sorry, I bought like $700 worth of Bitcoin when it was at 88 dollars per Bitcoin, and then uh, I lost my password for it, so I didn't have access to it for a long time, and then the Bitcoin price skyrocketed to like $1,200 a Bitcoin, but then it plummeted back down when the bubble popped, and it was hovering in the hundred, several hundreds for a, a couple of years, and then uh, I looked at it a couple months ago, and the price was very high, and so I was like, Selling. Oh, oh shoot, I gotta figure this out and figure this password thing out tonight. And so I, I figured it out and I was able to uh, sell my Bitcoin uh, for $2,700 each. Did you include this Jackson guy in this so that people wouldn't hear this and think you were shady enough to deal in Bitcoins? So Jackson uh, downloaded the Tor browser on his computer and uh, we looked at the Silk Road when it was still in existence and I saw what a bunch of drugs looked like that I had not known what they looked like before. Um, what if the police hear this and arrest you? What's your address? Come after me, officers. <laughs> I'm not afraid of you. Bright side is then we can come and do one of these podcasts about Vince's Bitcoins. circumstances. Yeah. The, the journey, my journey into the dark web. Ooh. That would be cool. Why don't you get back on and get traumatized by the dark web and we'll do an episode. Don't you think that would be pretty good? Yep. Um, anyway, what's in, what's in your cold ones? Uh, I'm still drinking water. I actually got cold water this time. Um, but if I could drink anything from a cold one, I would totally go for a Capri Sun pouch right now. We have uh, some upstairs if you want one. I'm... 
I'm nursing this Mott's for Tots uh, juice box. What's your fave uh, beverage, though? If you could crack open any cold one. Crack All the cold ones in the world are available to you with your Bitcoin. Um, I, uh, I, uh, don't, don't, uh, generally partake of these anymore, but, uh, I do really enjoy a Rockstar Energy drink. Oh, if, if I had to choose one. I was anticipating you were gonna say, like, a really scandalous alcoholic drink <laughs> and go into some story about how you used to get wild. What's in your cold one, Shug? Thank you for asking, Mark. It is a Diet Pepsi, again. But that's not my ideal cold one. My ideal cold one is probably a Lime Ricky with Diet Sprite, in case anyone was wondering. Have lime you... or no lime? Fresh lime. lime. Fresh, Fresh lime. lime. Always. Have... I think I'd actually switch mine to... Uh... Gosner's and Logan, they're uh, cookies and cream milk. The place that's just like yeah, a, a me and dairy. Allison just went and got a case. Well, she was with me, but I went and got a case. And For him and his wife. Hey, and we have been pounding them. Speaking of milk, do you want to? Do you guys want to hear a sad story? Yeah. One time, do I, we? one time I was in Chicago, and uh, I went to a Seven Eleven late at night, and I was pretty thirsty, and I saw this strawberry milk, and I was like. Sounds really good right now. I want a strawberry milk. And so I bought it, and the first swig I took, I realized it was just a normal milk with a pink cap. Oh. Ooh, that was such a good story. Bummer. I loved it. <laughs> Very disappointing. Top five disappointing moments of my life. What, uh, <laughs> what percentage milk are you guys? I don't I'm, drink straight up milk. I'm whole milk, vitamin D. Mm. Uh, I would drink... If I were to just drink straight milk, it would be chocolate milk, because mm. I love diabetes. Like, would you buy it as chocolate milk, or do you add Nesquik powder to it? I buy straight up chocolate milk. They have this stuff at Smith's that's like Belgian chocolate milk that's like $4 a bottle, but it's really good. And last time I bought it, somebody in my effing family just drank it out of the fridge. Mm. <clears throat> Family. It's probably one of those kids, probably my brother upstairs. I should go confront him right now. Probably. <laughs> but, yeah. Good good banter. Good stuff. So should we drop on into this case now? Should we crack this one open? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, should I should I start? or? Yeah, Mark's, Mark is the resident Mark Hoffman expert. They're both named Mark, but they're not alike at all. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to question my first name because you got Mark Hoffman. You had Mark... Hoppus. Hacking. Oh, Mark Hoppus is good, Oh, though. yeah, but we like Blink-182. Yeah, um, do. But Mark Hacking, do you remember that guy in Utah who cut up his wife? Yeah. Put her in a dumpster? That's quite a fitting name. That would be... Yeah, yeah that would be a good podcast episode. And then uh, Mark Furman was the uh, cop during the O.J. Simpson trial that... Uh, said all the racial slurs in that interview. Did you just Google, like, bad marks? No, I just, uh, I've been thinking about <laughs> Mark, them, so. Marky Mark. <laughs> Marky Mark's got, uh, that hard bod, though. Yeah. And then Mark Coppis, we're pro Blink-182 podcast here. Absolutely. We, in this house, we support Blink-182. Tom, if you're listening to this, come back, please. Not that we don't like you, Matt. 
Wait, which one's Matt? Matt Skiba. He's from Alkaline Trio. He replaced Tom. Yeah. Oh, I like him. I don't keep up with current Blink-182. I'm sorry. California's a good record. It's a good, good like album. It, yeah. Good good track. I don't Com- comment sh- below your favorite track from California. There's nowhere to comment below. What do you... <laughs> Fave and retweet this if you subscribe. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's move on to... Do you know who's another great Mark is Mark Brown, the author of the Arthur Author? books? Yeah. Did you ever watch Arthur Vince? And I said, hey, what a wonderful kind of day where you can learn to work and play and, and get, get along, along with, with each other. I was, as a kid, I was confused if they were saying get along with each other or get along with each Arthur. Because there were so many aardvarks. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that show will make sure we never forget how to spell aardvark. A-A-R-D-V-A-R-K. If, if I had to say uh, one show that I would not have expected to have a bunch of memes, it would be Arthur. So, question. Yeah. Favorite Arthur character? D.W. She's so sassy. Uh, she was a big hoe. I can't stand <laughs> she D.W. She's... The worst. Um, ooh, I don't know. I haven't thought this through. Because it's not Francine. I liked Mr. Ratburn. He kind of had that cold, hard shell, but inside he just liked cake. He was kind of like what? a dilf potential. What? What was the guy with the... <laughs> <laughs> I think. What was the guy with the big head's name? <laughs> what guy with the... Brain? Um, no, 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 not no. Brain. Not the guy Buster. With the big head. Uh, Binky. Binky. Binky totally blazed. <laughs> Do you guys remember the episode where there was the band Binky, but they thought Binky was the one tagging up the school? Oh, yeah, I do. That was... <laughs> Honestly, I, I really I sincerely do, actually. That one's... I don't know. That one's a pretty good episode. It's not yeah. my fave. So but... speaking of tagging up schools, Vince, you tagged up your school, right? When you were in um, school? Yeah... I had a friend who was a bad influence on me. Just kidding. We're equal influences. <laughs> this is someone with a Bitcoin stash is like, he was a bad influence. We uh, did uh, vandalize my high school and uh, spray paint his tag on it. At the age of uh, 17, I was days away from turning 18, so I had to commit a final crime. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I lied. That was when I was 18. I was 18. I, was a, I, was a, I could have been tried as an adult. Spooky. So his tag was spooky, S-P-U with an umlaut, K-Y. If you act like that's like, an, like people should know what an umlaut is off so the top of their head. If you've seen his tag spooky around, uh, if you've ever been around Fountain Valley, you'll see it on various things. Uh, that was uh, my friend Dennis McCarthy. If, the, if you're the police and you're listening to this, please go arrest him. <laughs> He's, you'll never find him. So an umlaut is the German... Uh, two dots to go above a vowel and make the uh, kind of ooh sound like sh- spooky. Like uber? Yeah, uber. Okay. Yeah. I heard, okay, well, you learn something new every single day. damn day. No days off. Greg never stops. Haters, <laughs> where you learn. haters are the motivators. Exact dab on your haters. So, speaking of the grind never stopping, Mark Hoffman <laughs> was someone the grind never stopped for because once he got started doing what he did, he just had to keep going. So, uh, was that a good, was that smooth? That, that was a really was so good. Trill. Smooth. 
Uh, so anyway, that's who we're talking about today, Mark Hoffman. Uh, a lot of you... Um, Not to be confused with uh, Detective Lieutenant Mark Hoffman from the Saw franchise. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, two, two, two separate people. He was in Saw 3 and Saw 3D and probably some more. I don't even think they were based on each other. So, um, But Mark Hoffman, most famous for his... Uh, forgeries uh, within the LDS Church, known for uh, forging a lot of uh, documents um, centered around church history, uh, Joseph Smith, uh, things like that. Uh, was very good at what he did, fooled a lot of people, a lot of historians, both in the LDS community and outside of it. Um, and yeah, it, it started with. Um, innocent forging and uh, moved quite swiftly into bombing people and murdering people so and innocent it was a meaning just for money not not, a not for to murder money or... fame yeah um, but it was a slippery slope for our friend Hold our anti-hero yeah. I want to take a little step back and say he was born in Salt Lake and uh, according to Wikipedia he was a below average high school student um, Fave this if you can relate. <laughs> wow. You're just like a human meme machine over there. He, so he was, his interests in high school were magic, electronics, chemistry, stamp, and coin collecting. Mm. So he was a huge nerd. Yeah, he, he and his friends were, have set, were said to have made bombs for fun on mm. the outsides of Murray. So that was, the parents should have been like, red flag, we yeah. don't want you to bomb I really in the wish knowing the outcome of the story that he would have gone more of the magic route maybe started in kids birthday parties or like lectures worked up to uh what do you mean le magic lectures like where they do like tricks that are like this is what's going to happen to you if illusions you michael <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was just going to say he could have worked up to like a spring break tape of, you know, the Aztec tomb, something like Wait, that. Wait, what? So. A spring break tape, like Girls Gone Wild? Don't you remember Job in Arrested Development oh. was making magic spring... When he made oh, the boat disappear. Sorry. Right. yeah. Anyway. Only, only day ones will get this. <laughs> I swear I've seen all of Arrested Development at least twice. So, get out of here. Get out of town. What? Say it. I'm afraid to let it. Oh, so yeah, he's not. He's not like Job. He's not a lovable young man. This no, he seems more like a not, George not... Michael, kind of filming himself doing Jedi moves on a on a video camera. If I had to relate, probably it to had a crush on his cousin. Yeah. Something like that. Maybe. <laughs> oh. Why would you... What? Why are we high-fiving over that? It's good. It's good. You'll have to re-listen to the podcast, see if you catch it. Fave and, fave and retweet if that was good. Well, I know that George Michael had a crush on maybe, but what was like... Is there something more? He was saying maybe, that, perhaps, oh. maybe Mark Hoff... Yeah. I'm, I think they like, use that joke a the lot. Jokes the jokes are show. so hot, I can't even keep up. It's like rapid fire. Yeah, and, and 
you know, when I was looking on Wikipedia about Mark Hoffman, and you, you mentioned he liked coin collecting, uh, I think one of his was first... He, did it say he's a total virgin? Uh, <laughs> didn't say that. Maybe you should edit that in on the article, but... Uh, oh. I'm going to write him a letter and ask him if he's ever had sex. <laughs> he, he was married, did have children, so... Well, oh, no, I mean in high school, it's like... It's like he collected coins and was a total virgin in all caps. Oh, dang. Because you know on the internet, the worst thing you can be called is a virgin. Dang. But no, what I, what I was going to say is his one of his first forgeries was um, he made a fake coin. Not a Bitcoin, but uh, he made a, a rare mint mark on a dime and uh, took it to some coin collectors and he was able to fool them. So I think this helped give him some confidence going forward. That yeah, I'm pretty good at this. He's and, like, uh, other people have aspirations to be lawyers. I'm gonna be a forager. I just want to also let the audience know that Bitcoin are not a tangible currency, so you can't <laughs> hold a Bitcoin in your hand. So they're uh, untraceable and untaxable. They're, they're, you can't counterfeit them because they're produced by a complex algorithm. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that for our listeners out there. We've got a dark web uh, expert because he spends so much time on there being shady. Um, but I thought Bitcoins were, you could touch them and they had a picture of uh, Edward Snowden on them. Isn't that... I, I'm not going to sit here and be ridiculed. <laughs> I, I When I first heard Bitcoin, I thought it was like Those... some in-app purchase you made in the Bitmoji app. Where maybe you can get some new clothes or... Fun fact, Bitcoin and Bitmoji don't have anything to do with each other. Well, what if I, when I think of Bitcoins, I think of on, like, Mario, when they you jump up and collect coins that are above your head. Like, yeah. yeah. Honestly, I know that's super, not, super different. I know it's not the same thing. I know you're not Mario. Don't flatter yourself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Mark Hoffman... Uh, Grew up in the LDS Church, uh, served a mission for the LDS Church, but a lot of people who knew him uh, said probably wasn't a true believer in the LDS Church, probably just did it out of social pressure, going on a mission. Going through the motions. Yeah, just kind of like that. For for people who don't know, do we say LDS is Mormon? Because, I mean... Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, so... Well, not that... There's some people who might not know... Everyone on earth is going to hear this, Vince. Stop. <laughs> so, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, the predominant religion in Utah, also known as Mormons because of their belief in the Book of Mormon. Not affiliated with If you're the from Utah, group. this is very redundant. If you're not and you've never heard of Mormons, it might be helpful. Uh, and, yeah, so... Um, he got did he, he got married in the temple, right? Married in the temple, uh, right, was was pretty close to the LS Church, and that's what kind of uh, got him started uh, in the forgery game. Uh, his most famous, or not most famous forgery, but his first forgery um, that he did um, has a lot to do with LDS history and um, he he produced a document that the LDS Church uh, would have been very interested in, and that was a uh, transcription um, that supposedly Joseph Smith had made of early pages of the Book of Mormon. So to give a little bit of background, Joseph Smith found uh, uh, golden plates 
and uh, uh, translated a piece of them onto uh, paper and gave that and went and uh, took a um, Martin Harris, I believe, took a took that piece of paper. So he, he transcribed the Egyptian characters from the gold plates to this piece of paper. Martin Harris took this piece of paper to a uh, professor named Charles Anton and uh, asked him to to be able to translate it. Um, it was uh, it's kind of frequently referenced in our church history, um, but the piece of paper has never been recovered. Um, Joseph Smith is the founder of the LDS Church. Did we already say that? I don't think we clarified that. We just uh, implied. Assumed. We don't. We can't assume that these listeners know everything. Yeah. So Joseph Smith, uh, founder of the LDS Church, and the major work he uh, produced was the Book of Mormon, which uh, he said were translated from golden plates. And so, like Vince said. Um, he put some of these characters on it and then gave it to Martin Harris to take to this professor. And, and church members love this story because uh, the professor was like, wow, these characters are legitimate, and he signed a paper. And so it, it shows, it kind of gives some validity to Joseph Smith's um, credibility as a translator. Uh, but then the story goes is that when he found out what it was for, this professor ripped it up. So... Um, Hoffman produces this um, document and gives it to the LDS Church. LDS Church is very excited to have it. They purchase it for $20,000 from Hoffman and then give him in return, because it was worth a little bit more than that. They appraised it at. Uh, they give him some other uh, historical artifacts uh, that the church had. They gave it um, to him? They gave it to him. So they, they took this... Um, paper of these Book of Mormon transcriptions that Hoffman gave them, and then they gave him some other um, artifacts that the church had in their history department. Like as a, a trade-off? Yeah, so they gave him $20,000 and then some more things as well. To sell back to them? Or what's the just reward? Keep, uh, just he to just keep. like wants... And I'm, I'm sure he liked having those, some of those documents because um, maybe the handwriting on them would have later helped him in producing other documents. Oh, and do, so they helped do, him unknowingly. Do we know how he became so good at forging or, or making these false documents? Um, it says that, right, one of his hobbies... Was doing, making, like he made a coin, did yeah, you do that? So, mm -hmm. Or were you sexting? That's part of it. But another thing that they say he did is he would... Take doc he would make documents and he'd take them to historians and historians would either say, oh, this is legitimate, this looks good, or they would point out to him saying, I don't think this document you have is real because this signature looks bad. And he'd say, well, what's off about it? And they'd say, oh, this part is wrong. And so he, in a way, under the table, he would get these historians to coach him on what he could improve upon. And so that's kind of how he got... Um, so good at this. But the LDS Church, when they get this document from him, they take it to their historians, and their historians give it the thumbs up and say, this is legitimate. So what, what year was this? He was good. 1980? Uh, yeah, this happened, I'm not quite sure you know about what? it. Yeah, it looks like it was 1980 that he he gave this first document to him. You know what this reminds me of? Is um, somebody we both know, he, in math class, instead of doing his math homework, he would go to the... Because the math teacher told him that if he beat him in chess, he would get an A. <laughs> so he'd go to the library and study chess to play 
the um, teacher at the end, and he did beat him in the end and got an A, even though he didn't do the homework or anything. So Mark Hoffman could have just been earning money a normal way, but instead he dedicates all this time to learning how to um, fake signatures. Yeah, that's wow, that's really profound. Well, you're not even inside on the joke. <laughs> no, and 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 he was in he was in college at this time, I believe. I think he was. Um, at Utah State, but as soon as this happens, as soon as he gets this 20K, um, he drops out of school and he becomes this documents dealer. And this is now his profession. Um, and one thing I always think about is, right, because this was the first document, but he ended up being able to forge hundreds of documents and have the church purchase them, as well as people outside the church with other historical documents. My question is, why would they keep buying them? Why aren't they getting suspicious? How is this guy finding so many yeah. important documents? Yeah, that's that's something. Yeah, is, is why, like, do they not question where his sources are coming from? Like, why why does he all of a sudden have, because uh, he started producing them pretty quickly, right? Like, all a lot all at once. Yeah, he just st keeps stumbling upon them at antique shops. <laughs> Whoops! I found this copy of this rare thing and, again. And he he said his method was right. Is the more um, famous he became within the LDS church history community, um, he was able to make contacts with a lot of descendants of early morning of early Mormon leaders who were then able to. Um, get these, give these documents to him or help him find them. And so that was kind of his, um, where his, he said his notoriety came from is the more famous he became, the more people were reaching out to him I see. and giving those to him. So I, I can see, I can see how you would think, okay, he's becoming the go-to guy for these, but it's still, it's a little interesting to me that um, in, in the beginning, there weren't very many eyebrows raised at him saying, how are you coming out of nowhere producing all these documents and how are you getting them so quickly? Um, another interesting document that he produces and gives to the LDS Church is um, a letter um, that would have proved that Joseph Smith III, the son of Joseph Smith Jr., the founder of the LDS Church, um, that proved that Joseph Smith viewed um, his son as the successor. And for those of you who aren't as familiar with the church history, uh, Joseph Smith Jr. dies. He's the prophet leader of the faith. And there's kind of a bunch of different camps that break off of who should be his successor. A vacuum for power. Yes. And the main one that emerges is Brigham Young, uh, who is the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. But a lot of people also thought that Joseph Smith's son was the rightful heir. And so um, the LDS Church, which was the group that Brigham Young then led after Joseph Smith, um, that's who Hoffman brings this letter to and in a sense um, is blackmailing the church and saying, I have this document that says Joseph Smith III was the rightful um, leader to the church. Um, you guys are going to want to buy this uh, before it falls into the wrong hands. So at this point in time, it seems like his uh, his forgeries are taking on a little bit more of a sinister um, 
uh, overtone or whatever because at first the Anton document that was kind of supporting church history and people were really excited about that but this one could prove detrimental to blackmail yeah, sh black shaking yeah. a lot of active members faith and uh, it it's not a money thing anymore now it's doing it to like mess with people or yeah. whatever his motives were and definitely I think the first one right gives him credibility with the church makes him a, a friend of the church and then this one he still comes at it as a friend by saying hey I'm coming to you guys first with this but I think it, it helped him uh, gain power over the church because again the church viewed it, their historians looked at it, said, this is legit, this is the handwriting that we're looking at. And so they uh, purchased it, but then Hoffman still go, like you said, it's kind of taking on a darker tone now, because after he sells it to him, he goes to the news, lets the media know the church has this document, and they release it, and then the church is forced to be transparent about the document that they purchased from Hoffman. So he started using, well, I was going to say he uses his power for, for for good and then turns to evil, but I guess it was never really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I um, wanted it to be a story like when Spider-Man goes bad and goes emo and goes to the <laughs> cafe. Did you, did you see the tweet about that with the La La Land music over it? Yeah, it was better than the movie La La Land. All right, we got to settle this. Are you Vince? Are you a La La Land fan? I'm I'm a La La Land fan. I like I like the song. Uh, the sun is nearly gone. Oh, the yeah. I like the song. Turning on. I just don't think it's a good movie. Uh, I liked it, but then I saw the movie Lion with Dev Patel, and I thought it was much better. I I was surprised at all the hype that La La, La, La Land, Land got, got and that Lion didn't get. Are those two comparable? But they were like both in the running for Oscars. Oh, I see. Is what the... I remember at an Andrew McMahon concert at the end, he was playing It's Not Your Birthday. And I was like, isn't this so sad to Vince? And he was like, not as sad as the ending scene of Love. <laughs> I don't remember. I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, I actually never said that. I promise you said it because it, it was back in like May. We've been to two different... Andrew McMahon concerts, and it stuck with me. I think that is false, and I absolutely deny it. I have it written down. Allison is uh, putting words in my mouth like Mark Hoffman did to the LDS church. <laughs> I swear it happened. But mm. anyway, sorry, well, I don't even remember why we started talking about... Oh, oh. No, still don't remember. Anyway. Let's go on. Um, so... Hoffman, and, and I'm just mentioning a few of his prominent documents. Keep in mind that he is producing hundreds of these, both for the church and outside of the church, um, fooling historians. Um, even, even outside of the church? So who, do we know yeah. other people? He Were they all uh, LDS related? or were uh, No, a lot of it historians. had to do American history. Um, oh. He was known to have forged... Uh, signatures of most of the founding fathers. I think George Washington was a prominent uh, person he was forging at this time. and uh, That would naturally be the path, though. You're like, I'm not going to just stick with yeah. this church. I'm going to like challenge myself and be the founding fathers. Yeah, and and so he, he fooled a lot of people. And that, that kind of comes into play um, with the bombings, uh, actually. Um, but before we get to that... Wanted to talk about probably 
Hoffman's most famous forgery, um, which is known as the Salamander Letter. And this, this I would say is his peak of notoriety, um, but also maybe the start of things unraveling for him. That Yeah, this, this is the whole reason why I even know who Mark Hoffman is, is because I heard about the Salamander Letter. Yeah, so, so Salamander Letter uh, is a letter Hoffman forged uh, from Martin Harris, who we've already mentioned. Uh, he must have been really good at Harris's handwriting. Uh, Mar Martin Harris was a, a prominent figure in the early Mormon church. Yeah. He was one of the, one big of the origi original members. He was, yeah. He's he was a top a, dog. He was a, he was a big, big daddy. deal. One of the first people called people him to... Daddy. <laughs> Zaddy. <laughs> well, one of the first people to come into contact with Joseph Smith after he um, began to have uh, his visions. and uh, Anyway, this letter uh, that Hoffman forges is a, a letter from Martin Harris to W.W. W. Phelps, another uh, early uh, church history figure. And in it, he describes how Joseph Smith came across the golden plates um, that he would later uh, translate into the Book of Mormon. Uh, the LDS version of the story goes that Joseph Smith was praying one right, asking for guidance, and an angel appeared to him, uh, told him that God had a work for him to do, that he needed him to translate some scriptures uh, written by prophets in ancient America. And the angel told Joseph Smith where he could get the plates. And after uh, some time of preparation, uh, he's able to take the plates and through the power of God is able to translate these. Uh, this is the story that um, the church tells and that members are very familiar with. Uh, so when Hoffman comes out with this letter, uh, the Salamander letter, uh, the reason that it was so controversial is it differed so much from... Uh, the LDS origin story. Wait, so he just pulled this out of thin air? He um, made it up? Or was it like an urban legend? So there were there were parts of the Salamander letter that had been um, purported by um, anti-Mormons uh, for a long time. Uh, the main argument that Joseph Smith uh, was really into the practice of treasure hunting. And he was sort of um, caught up in this mystical, um, like I said, treasure hunting, a lot of which was going on uh, at the time, uh, but wasn't viewed as a very legitimate practice. Wait, so, okay, okay. Joseph Smith was legitimately into treasure hunting. Uh, to, to some extent. To some extent. As, I mean, I guess we all are. That would be pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> if there were real treasures, if there were treasures out there, I'd go searching. In uh, in upstate New York at the time, it was a thing. He's like Nick Cage. He was searching for his own Declaration of Independence, yeah. metaphorically. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So so the letter Hoffman produced, the story goes: Joseph Smith um, is out treasure hunting uh, with his seer stone. And he comes across uh, these golden plates in the ground. And um, as he tries to take them, a white salamander crawls across the plates and turns into this spirit. Um, tells Joseph that he cannot take the plates uh, unless his brother Alvin comes with him to the burial site of these plates. And uh, 
Alvin was Joseph's oldest brother, um, had died a few years previous to this event. From what? Um, I think it was some sort of internal... Oh, it was just like a disease. I just remember from my mission, always watching this Joseph Smith movie. Um, and basically being able to memorize it from how often we watched it. <laughs> and I think the doctor says, it's some sort of internal blockage. Uh, so I'm going to say that it was some sort of internal blockage. Okay, just making uh, sure it wasn't a, a murder from a white salamander. So then, no, no, no. So then they go, they, the room, or in this letter it talks about how they went and dug up his brother Alvin's body, who's, who's now dead and buried, and that with his remains... Uh, they were able to appease the white salamander spirit and and take this book, um, which he then translated. Again, differing vastly from Joseph Smith's account and the, the account that the church um, goes with. So he took this to the church and, and sold it to him. Yeah, and so I guess uh, still, still on the sinister anti-LDS... Um, theme that uh, Hoffman's been going for because that's weird like that compared to the what what LDS people believe uh, about jo what Joseph Smith said digging up his brother's body and bringing it to an angel like that appeared as a salamander that's that's a weird thing like yeah and 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 the weird thing um, is and I guess every person has to interpret this differently is you know, the LDS Church believes that it is led and guided by prophets and, and current revelation from God. And so my immediate thoughts go to, um, if the church is led by prophetic figures, uh, why were they allowed to um, believe that these documents were legit? Um, why, would, why would they? Because he takes this document... And the church buys it from him, and um, the church apostle Dallin H. Oaks um, actually viewed or gave a, a talk that salamander could mean um, like, like a, a it could like be like in a, general conference. He gave a talk, not in general conference, um, but um, talking to um, a church education yeah, seminar, CES employees, telling them. You it know, a salamander could mean uh, this because in the early 1800s, uh, salamander was a, a word for a mythical being thought to be able to live in fire. And so um, it is interesting to me that um, the church uh, didn't have, like, the prophet didn't That the prophet a... wasn't able to. Now, at the time, the prophet is um, Spencer W. Kimball, uh, and his counselors are. Um, Ezra Taft Benson and I believe... GBH? Gordon B. Hinckley? Um, well, yes, I think N. Eldon Tanner and then Gordon B. Hinckley oh, was okay, actually okay. called to be a third counselor because of how incapacitated the rest of the members of the First Presidency were. None of them could fulfill their function. So Gordon B. Hinckley is, uh, in fact, leading the church uh, at this time and is kind of the, the PR guy, which was... Hinckley's career before he was an apostle and so he's the guy kind of um, the face of the church at this point in in its history uh, but yeah so I guess you kind of have to decide for yourself I think what he couldn't I think you can make the argument for either either these guys aren't prophets or 
you can look at at other scriptural accounts in the Bible and and in other books and see that um, there were times when the church uh, suffered through no fault of their own. What's that moan? What wasn't that moan? Anyway, uh, so people kind of speculate. Okay, what what is Hoffman doing here? Um, Besides being a messy bitch who makes her drama. <laughs> what is his motive? And I think you have to draw your own conclusion as to, to why he's doing this. A lot of people think that he was leading up to producing uh, the 116 lost pages of the Book of Mormon. Uh, just, but just by, he's just forging them. He's just like, I'm going to freestyle this so hard. Yeah, and... and which would have been, you know, huge, a huge like, thing, um, as big as the salamander letter was. Like, it, it would have just like shaken the tr- like. It, it would have been massive. Yeah, and and a, a lot of people think maybe he would have uh, written these hundred and sixteen pages uh, so that they don't align well with the Book of Mormon and further sort of blackmail the church and asserted more control over them. Um, interestingly enough, um, the sort of early critics of Hoffman and the first people to kind of come out and say, I don't think he's legit. I think he's forging our anti-Mormons. Um, there's a couple anti-Mormon leaders, uh, that come out and say, um, and I'm trying to... Gerald and Sandra Tanner. Yeah, the Tanners. And they, uh, they're kind of saying, this guy is not legit. And it's interesting because obviously the documents he's producing would have you know, helped their cause, helped their case against the church, but they are the first people to come out and say, I do not think that this guy is legit. And so uh, from then on, Hoffman's um, game is starting to unravel. Uh, he's making a lot of money from the documents he's producing, but he's also living a very lavish lifestyle which um, is putting him in a lot of debt. And so uh, one thing that he does to, to start making some money uh, is he sort of starts to pre-sale these documents. And uh, what are these documents that he tries to uh, get some money on and, and kind of take a loan out on are what he calls the McClellan letters. William McClellan was uh, an early church leader and then apostate. Uh, in the Nauvoo period, and he, uh, these letters apparently that McClellan wrote would have unveiled a lot of uh, negative um, information on Joseph Smith, so to speak. And uh, a guy by the name of Steve Christensen, uh, who, faithful member of the church, ally of the church, and also um, interested in document collecting. Uh, is able to get uh, Hoffman the money to produce these because I'm sure uh, his goal was to keep uh, these documents, these McClellan letters, out of the hands of uh, anti-Mormons as to keep Joseph Smith in a favorable light. Uh, And interestingly enough, Christensen is Hoffman's first victim um, of his bombings. Gets blown to smithereens with a mail a mail bomb. A mail bomb. Does anyone know? I'm not really familiar. What is a mail bomb? It's the opposite of a female bomb. <laughs> LOL. 
Um, mail bombs make. Is, is a mail bomb a letter bomb? 30 cents more. Yeah. Are those synonymous? And, yeah. Um, well, f- as far as I know, it's not like any of Just that you deliver, it's like a package? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, just on Wikipedia, the it says a letter bomb is just an explosive device sent via the Postal Service and designed with the intention to injure or kill the recipient, mm. recipient when open. So the explosive version of anthrax. I didn't, I didn't realize that his uh, bombings took place in such close proximity to each other. Or, like, not proximity, but uh, time. time. Like, mm. that the, the two were on the same day. Yeah. I, rem- I Well, to be honest, when I heard about this story, it was from Caitlin, and she was like, he just forged a bunch of stuff and blew people up to cover it up. And I thought that she meant, like, that he, like, forged checks or something boring. No, so no, you guys no. are really blowing my mind tonight. Wow, it's really great that Caitlin's not here. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Thank heavens. Uh, just kidding, Caitlin. We love you, but I think we'll let we'll see we'll see how many views this gets. <laughs> we'll, we'll see who's sitting in this chair next to me. <laughs> That's funny. I'll retweet it right now. Okay. Um. So, uh, between us talking about this, we. I, Sugar and Vince are Twitter gods Friends. and goddesses. No, okay, we're not at all. Anyway, especially not Vince. <laughs> uh, they get a heck more of a lot of action than I do on the on the Twitterverse. So uh, that's kind of what our conversation. Oh, you wanted to give a backdrop? I just wanted to like include some saucy banter in the beginning. Mm, interesting. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, Hoffman. Uh, right, he's he's getting money for these McClellan letters. Uh, they're going to take a long time pro- to produce, so he's starting to uh, have people come after him, want their money back, uh, or want these things produced. And so to buy him more time, uh, he decides to bomb Christensen with this letter bomb, so he takes a package to his workplace. And interestingly enough, Steve Christensen is, or, or was, the son of Matt Christensen, the owner of Mr. Mac, uh, where I do all my suit shopping, all my tailoring. What about um, Miss? What about Men's Warehouse? What about Mrs. Mac? Am I right? <laughs> Mr. Mac not? earns thirty more cents than <laughs> the, Mrs. Mac does. Mrs. Mac doesn't even have to lift a finger, probably. No, but uh, I don't Mac know. Mac is a hot draper mom. Should she go to So Delicious? <laughs> yes. Speaking of So Delicious, we're being sponsored by So Delicious tonight. If you're out there listening to this, Kevin Arnig, Give us money. <laughs> and soda. Mostly money. Thanks, Kevin. And soda. For Vince to have a date at your, in your establishment, make a nook for Vince dates. That's the, that's the dream. <laughs> yeah. Well. But anyway, to answer your earlier question... Um, Mr. Mac usually has better sales going on. Uh, I did get my wedding suit at Men's Warehouse. Because they have uh, that guarantee. Yeah, I did like the way I looked. We we get it, Mark. You're married. <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> anyway, uh, shout out to the wife who's playing volleyball tonight. Does she listen? Pepperdine. She uh, I'll listen? probably make her listen to this. I don't Aww. know if she'll enjoy it. She might get scared. She's... 
you are pretty your your storytelling abilities are pretty close to Robert Stack from Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, thank you. Remember when he had? I want to be more like a Keith Morrison though. Oh, he's pretty good. He's probably my favorite Dateline one besides Lester. What about Chris Hansen from Um, To Catch a Predator? I mean, he's decent. He's no Keith. True that. There's something just so appealing about a man. NBC Dateline, if you're listening, please bring back To Catch a Predator. Uh, or, here's what you do. You bring it back and you make me and Mark the host. Heck yeah. And not Vince. No, unless you want a piece of it. I don't know. Just not Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> you're starting a beef. I know. Uh, <laughs> Caitlin's going to go start her own podcast. <laughs> that just talks trash on Mark. Dang. Uh, anyway... So, not only does he blow up, like Vince said, there's two bombings. He blows up Steve Christensen. And then he blows up the wife of one of Steve's work associates uh, just to throw people off and make it think it's something work-related. Steve was a document collector by hobby, um, but not by profession. And so, uh, apparently the business he had been associated with was not doing well and was failing. So, uh with him and then the wife of his boss being bombed and made it seem like it maybe had something more to do with that. Uh, but then everything comes crashing down around Mr. Hoffman when one of the bombs uh, that he had goes off in his car and injures himself. And so now he's brought into this and as police investigate, they find uh, tons of documents and evidence of forgery uh, in Hoffman's basement. Uh, my mom at Sue Girl 801. Uh, she's actually a she's actually really into this, and that's how I kind of became familiarized with this. Um, she's into forging her own documents. She's, if you know what I mean. She's into this whole salamander stuff, and and she said something interesting is that Hoffman's so Hoffman's married this whole time, has a family, and. This whole time, he never lets his wife enter the basement room where he forged the... I need to catch my breath. That's generally a red flag when they won't let you in a, the basement, Yeah, if, I would say. If your no significant other is, like, keeping, like, anything from you and, like, not being transparent, there's probably a red flag, unless he's throwing you, like, a surprise party. For, like, so then, five years straight. Yeah, so maybe it was a... He, she thought it was a really big surprise party. Maybe she's coming up on 30th birthday, 40th birthday, something like that. Maybe so. she was just like, don't ask, don't tell, I don't want to know, I'm going to go have an affair. Where's she at these days? I don't know. You want to hit um, her up? Yeah, Vince, why don't you? Is she single? Um, she probably hit you up at So Delicious. Yeah, my new nook from Kevin Arnick. <laughs> uh, I'd said that she divorced him in like 1987 and um, owns a business for holistic health. Ooh. Which I can only assume is like some doTERRA witchcraft. Alright, so Dora Lee, that's her name, or Dory, as she went by. Dory, if you're listening, uh, so one of these Tuesdays, uh, that's Vince's date day, um, please go to So Delicious and meet him in his nook. He'll be there, waiting. H- HMU. He'll have a sign that says Dory, question mark. Dora Lee. <laughs> My she home, goes by my, Dory. My homegirl Dory. But doesn't it say she's a holistic heal- yeah, healing I, lady? Yeah, I did see something about okay. that. Okay, I didn't think I made that up. Yeah. It's going to be like the uh, Pina Colada song. 
So he only successfully. Ki- oh, sorry. Go on. With no, I'm just saying they're gonna look at each other and laugh and say, "Oh, it's you." And then Vince will say, "I never knew that you liked pina coladas getting caught in the rain." Because in the song. Yeah. Yeah. They thank meet you. up. They you know? meet up. Maybe at a place like So Delicious. Do they sell pina coladas there? Virgin if, ones. No. Oh. Well, you could probably get a drink with a pineapple, coconut, yeah, yeah. add-in. So. And then just spike it. It's a possible scenario. Yeah. Dory, I can't believe... I, Dory probably has trust issues, though. She won't let her guard down and be vulnerable but with she, you. She definitely is saucy, though. True. She'll let you do whatever you want with the basement of your house. <laughs> That's for sure. Um... So, kind of concluding Hoffman's story, he, uh, they find just insurmountable amounts of evidence in his basement that, uh, in the words of Sugar, just a hot, piping, smoking gun. Ooh. And, uh... That, that does sound exactly like Allison. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and so, he really has no way to say he's innocent, no alibis whatsoever. For either the forgery or the murder, because yeah. he was caught in the act of um, yeah. bombing. So he only successfully bomb killed two people? Bombed. Is that not good enough for your <laughs> podcast? Is that not enough lives lost? I, sorry, we're going to have to cancel this episode. Only two killings. Not not enough. No, that's didn't meet the minimum good. quota. I just didn't know, because it seemed like it, if it's a bomb, it would like kill a bunch of people. Like, what, are these just, like, uh, personal bombs? Like, personal bombs? pizza? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> fun size. <laughs> the 12-inch bomb. Eight yeah. ounce. Yeah, eight slices of the bomb. Uh, I know the wife was at home alone when the bomb went off. Uh, Christensen was at his place of work, and so, but I do know there were only two people killed by Hoffman. Uh, but anyway, he pleads guilty. Uh, and sentenced to life in prison where he is currently uh, serving out his life sentence. Um, We're trying to figure out if we can go visit him at the Draper, Utah. We could at least go to serving time, the the cafe at the, ho- at the jail where they serve you, the prisoners. Last time I was there, we watched Impractical Jokers. Don't they have weird hours? They do. That's what I was told because I really do want to go try it. I heard it's, it's really good. But um, have you ever seen Mark Hoffman? At, has he ever been cooking up some grub at serving time? I'm sure it's probably like low risk ones that haven't blown anyone up that are serving. Mm. I wonder if he, his and Dory's relationship was good or if it was like really tumultuous and so they arrested him and she was like, good finally, I can, I can go in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> finally, I can. Go Netflix and chill with and other chill boys. <laughs> Meet at Nooks. Yeah, she's finally free for Vince. He wasn't even born yet, but she's waiting. Am I right? So probably the the most interesting thing to me in all of this is, uh, so Hoffman's in prison. He's been excommunicated by the church. His wife has left him, and he uh, tries to commit suicide in his cell, uh, ODs on antidepressants, and then falls on his arm, the, his right arm, which he's right-handed, the army uses to forge documents. It blocks circulation and uh, it causes atrophy in his muscles. 
And so Hoffman currently uh, is permanently disabled with his right hand, uh, meaning he will never forge another document. Not that he probably could, but in his current condition, but if he ever had the opportunity, he would not be able to be a great forger anymore, which call it karma, an act of God, or just uh, really or awesome justice. irony. Whatever it is, I think it's kind of an awesome answer to story. Hoffman's story. Uh, so in my best Keith Morrison impression, ooh, that is all we have for tonight. Join us next time on Cracking Open a Cold Case.